0: Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women in BIPOC voices. We're bringing Wonder Women Tech to the airwaves. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show. And I am thrilled to have Tanisha Nash Laird on the show. Tanisha is a social change agent and community developer who centers cultural equity in her work. She is the president and CEO of Newark Symphony Hall, a historic performing arts center located within the Lincoln Park neighborhood of Newark, New Jersey. Since her appointment in November, 2018, she has expanded programming to respond to community needs and announced plans to restore the 1925 vintage concert hall in a 40 million renovation and leverage it for neighborhood revitalization in a process she calls symphony works. Tanisha previously served as executive director of the arts council of Princeton notably as the first person of color in that role. During her tenure, she launched an instructional art program for adults with disabilities and created a grant funded professional development program to ethnically diversify the teaching artist pool. Widowed in 2013 and a pink lady warrior since an early stage breast cancer diagnosis in 2019, Tanisha is most proud of being a mom to aspiring ballerina and budding cellist Naima, age 10, and self-proclaimed future doctor Imani, who in 2019, just two months shy of her 13th birthday, played violin with her youth orchestra in Sicily, Italy. Tanisha, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Um, I I love it. I love everything you do. I'm so excited to be a part of this.
0: Oh, I just love having you. (laughs) First of all, I just want to say you are one of my favorite Wonder Woman Tech alumni. I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. Brianna does too. Um, I think about when we first connected over our Washington DC Global Summit. And you were so open and vulnerable in your talk. And it was pivotal for all of us. Yeah, that
1: was, oh my goodness, that was probably the most vulnerable talk I'd ever given. But it also was the one that had the most, um, I would say, genuine response. I mean, I think... What was so great about that is that I went on Twitter later and found that people were like tweeting and, you know, the whole like quoting it and all that. And I just want to thank you and Brianna because the backstory is and we won't go into the whole deep, deep backstory. But the backstory is (laughs) I wasn't really feeling like a leader and you and Brianna really convinced me to still come. And what most people don't know, but you know, is that I wrote that talk in the hotel room that same morning, and then even was like, you know, putting little touches on it as your speakers, and you had the most incredible speakers, um, the speakers that came before me spoke, so it was, you are just, um, you are a Wonder Woman, so thank Aww. you so, so much uh, for that, because it was, it, it really kind of changed a lot of my life uh, and path, so thank you
0: oh thank you tanisha and we are so grateful to you that you felt safe enough to share your in your vulnerability not just with brianna and myself but with our audience as well and i know a lot of people um really felt that deep impact and we don't mind holding your hand girl we we we've had to hold many a speaker's hands you know and and to your point about not feeling like a leader you know so many of us can identify with that I know I can, um, especially in, in a landmark year where we all have just had to like, everything's crumbled. We've had to pivot and restructure ourselves and figure out what the hell are we doing? So we are all in that with you, Tanisha. And you're still
1: here, right? And you're yes. still standing. And and that is the testimony, right? Yeah.
0: Nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs>
1: That's right.
0: So there's there's so much that I've learned you know, about you through our friendship and on social media, because I love your social media presence. (laughs) But I'd love you to share with our audience a bit about your childhood and background. So
1: I can't thank you. I can't talk about my background without talking about my late mother's background. You know, recently, um, I was uh, privileged to be uh, featured in a three-page article in New Jersey Monthly Magazine. And the article mm-hmm. was about my life, but also about how my life influenced the work that I do now as the president and CEO of Newark Symphony Hall. And when I think about that, you know, my mom came to New York with a one-way ticket from Jim Crow South to Scarsdale, New York to be the help right you know mm. she ne- she worked three jobs never made more than minimum wage and yet when she died there was a resolution about her death honoring her from the county commissioners from Westchester county which is where i grew up in new york and it was because of the immense influence that she had positive Impact that she had on the community. So I think, as an example of leadership and being able to lead from the place that you are, that is really my childhood. But, you know, if I were to put it out on paper, you could say, I grew up impoverished, right? I grew up uh, below the poverty line, but in a very wealthy community. But you could not tell me that I did not have a rich childhood. Um, Mm. The things that my mom was able to do. And again, I'm telling you, it only occurred to me as an adult that the reason that she sent me alone to my very first Broadway show when I was about seven or eight it's probably because she couldn't afford her own ticket, but she got a ticket for me and Aww. it was a church trip and it was the whiz, right? Um, <laughs> and and um, she took me to see other Broadway shows and she also took me again around those very early years before I was I think even in double digits went to see uh, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art which is my favorite museum ever um, to see the King Tut exhibit and so my childhood again was very very rich. Um, in fact, I probably didn't realize that I was poor, right? Um, and the definition <laughs> of what people describe as poor because of the things that I was able to benefit from. And she also had an incredible village. So I didn't have a nanny or driver. But yet I had a nanny or driver and driver. I remember she was <laughs> hospitalized. No, this is crazy. She was yeah. hospitalized. Unfortunately, she had, I think she had like kidney stones or one of those things, you know, one of those things you have to be in the hospital for a little while, but it's not life threatening. And one of her friends was a driver, you know, he was a, a, for a family. He was, you know, car driver. And so that's how I went to school for the whole week that she, she was in the hospital. And I know people were probably like this little black girl coming to school in a, you know, limo. But it's because that was part of my mother's extended village. And it allowed me to have this really amazing, amazing childhood. Uh, But again, my mother seriously never made more than minimum wage. And I say she wiped behind her entire life because she took care of little kids and towards the end of her life, which we didn't know was going to be the end of her life. She died very young in her 60s. She was taking care of elderly as well. So those are the things that she did on the weekends, in addition to her day job being a child care provider at what is now called the Lois Bronze Child Center. But at the time when I went through it as well, it was called the Union Child Daycare Center. So um, again, rich, rich childhood in White Plains, New York, uh, in Westchester County, in in New York State.
0: You know, what I really, really, really love and appreciate about this story and about your mother, you know, I I think about, you know, our our theme this year is We Are Generations. And I think about, um, like... Our our ancestors and those that came before us, and those that lay the foundation for for us moving forward, right? And then and then what we then um, lay the foundation for 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 the next generations behind us. But what I loved in hearing this story is that she planted these very beautiful seeds in, in you, like to be able to understand and appreciate the arts, appreciate. Mm-hmm the what people would call the finer things in life you know and relying on the community to to be there for each other you know i recently became aware of actually brianna who is looking for um ceremonies for her child because she wants to do something that's you know um cultural even you know just to bring her child up in, in new and diverse ways, right? And she met a doula who does this African tradition of blessing the child to the community so that the, and entrust the community to raise this child, right? So together we will, we will, we will rise up this generation. And it sounds like your mother definitely had those influences uh, instinctually and was able to rely on a community to, to bring you a better childhood that she could have uh, given you herself, that's just oh, beautiful. Oh,
1: a- absolutely! I mean, she was so giving and amazing, and um, and I think you know, it, again, it was it was a village, right? Um, so she gave and she got, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that was uh, an important part of my childhood, and um, and I'm I'm just so amazed uh, because listen. I'm a single mom myself now, unfortunately widowed, and I have two children, and I make multiples of what my mom made, and it's a struggle, and I'm like, how did she do all this (laughs) stuff, you know, just kind of balancing everything, and, you know, of course, I'm probably seeing things through rose-colored glasses, because I I, I like to think that that's how kids see, they, they, you know, they see their parents as superheroes, and I certainly saw my mom as a superhero, Um, And again, especially understanding what she grew up. She could not vote where she grew up because of Jim Crow, right? Mm. So probably the first time she voted was in New York when she came up here. So just kind of thinking about her life and Again, reading the resolution, which I keep in my room, and it will uh, this is my home office, and eventually it'll be, behind, it'll be behind me, because I also had the article framed, and I want to have the, the resolution and the article both framed behind me, side by side, to sort of remind me mm. how I got here. I stand on her shoulders, I stand on the shoulders of my grandparents, who were sharecroppers, who raised my mother, um, to have the courage to leave North Carolina to come up to the North and send money back so that they can purchase their home. Uh, my mother helped my pa- my grandparents buy their home. Um, again, on minimum wage. So I keep saying, my mother can do all these things. I know that no matter what I go through,
0: that I can endure it. So You can move mountains. You know, I want to take a, a step back for a moment. And can you share with us what it was like that seven-year-old sitting in that theater seat watching The Wiz. What were some of your first impressions?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, I mean, that is a blessing growing up, I think, in New York, right? Um, I grew up just 30 minutes north of Manhattan. So I remember every single time uh, my mom took me to something. I mean, well, here's the thing to me. Seeing that was amazing, but so was Disney on Ice. Like, I still remember my mom taking me to (laughs) Disney Disney on Ice at Radio City. Um, And for me, it was like a wonder, you know? It was, wow, you know, this is just amazing, and how do they do that, and how do they come up with that? And, yes, my early aspirations was, um, although everybody thought I'd be, like, a a doctor or a lawyer because I was always debating uh, something so that's the lawyer side and i was I was pretty good in the sciences so they thought that I would be a doctor but there was something about that that just made me feel like it was something that I could do from as a form of expression and so yes um, my mom also had me I, I benefited from pretty much every arts. Uh, outreach program including at Union Child daycare center so that's the first dance classes that I took and I ended up being in the um, all of my school high school plays and I was all county singer I like to point out so where they select like the best singers <laughs> of the county um, but it was one of those things where it was it, it made me just feel, wow like this i, I want to do this for the rest of my life i want to just go to shows for the rest of my life and again i'm really thankful that i live in close proximity to before the pandemic to go and see things all the time and i do that for my kids too just going in and, and going to the half price ticket booth and buying tickets to whatever broadway show we can get we can get
0: tickets for um, I I'm, I'm a little jealous of uh, at how close you are i i i absolutely love 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 the arts So let's let's talk about education, because you have quite a strong educational background as well. So what did that trajectory look like? And did you encounter any twists and turns as you pursued your degrees? You know, you talked about your family was was thinking you were going into like the the sciences and 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 uh, law. Can you share with us your educational uh, journey?
1: Yeah, so it's still in pursuit. I've dropped out of grad school like three times. So don't, you know, don't, don't follow me, (laughs) the the people who know. But, um, and the best, you know, Columbia, the new school, like, like best schools, right. Um, But my journey. So I did my first two years at Temple University. Um, Believe it or not, I was originally an accounting major, because that seemed like a very practical, you know, pursuit. Um, but quickly knew that accounting was not for me. So changed to a marketing major. But again, my mom actually got sick while I was at Temple University. So I decided to come home and continue my education while I also worked. So I worked. So I did two years straight, and then I worked my way through school the rest of the time. And I went to Baruch College, which is part of the City University of New York, you know, Again, I'm probably biased, but Baruch, I think, is an amazing educational institution. Um, Graduates at one point, at one point, I'm pretty sure Baruch had more B-school graduates in the Fortune 500 than any other. Um, But it was an affordable education at the City University of New York. And... um, again, very, very grateful. And you know, I did not actually walk across to get that degree until I was 24, 24, 25 years old. And so I think Mm. that's something else that I think surprises people. Um, You know, and I hope it's encouraging to people that not everybody has that straight through that there's some of us like me, um, because you know, money um, came home to take care of my mom, could not go back. Also, the educational policy at that time was different. So now, again, understand, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's changed, but at that time, if you were still considered a dependent of your parent, 75% of your income, they expected you to put back to your education. 75%. Mm, That's, that's a lot. I, I made, I'll, I'll never forget these numbers. I worked my took us off and I made about nine thousand ten thousand dollars while I was actually in school. My mother, her entire income for the year was thirteen thousand dollars. Now if you had added the the nine or ten plus the thirteen, I would have qualified for all the money. But because they expected that seventy five percent of my income, seventy five hundred dollars, should have gone towards my education, it reduced the amount of financial aid that I got. So it was one of That's those like things so
0: backwards.
1: I, it was so backwards. <laughs> but it also gave me but it also gave me an understanding of how I had to advocate for myself. Yeah, yeah. Um and at the time what I chose to do because I didn't want to take on a lot of debt what I chose to do was just to work, to continue to work and pay, work and pay, work and pay, work and pay. And so, you know, the good news is I graduated college uh, without a whole lot of any debt. uh, But the bad news is it also took more time for me to complete my degree. So
0: no, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, the education system is, is it needs to be revitalized. Uh, and that's that's a whole other conversation. That, that's a whole different
1: <laughs> thing. Um, you know, also, my mom uh, did not have the um, understanding and education to help me search out opportunities. But I'm going to tell you, my first year, again, I have to shout out White Plains Rotary Club. They gave me a scholarship. My, my first year, of college. so first two years of college, first year of college, I was sick. Um, and that's when we went, I went away. Um, but since then, uh, as I said, I have pursued um, additional higher ed. And I'm not even going to say where I am right now. But I am in in school right now. But here's the other thing that's crazy. <laughs> I teach. So I teach college, yeah. um, which is also people are like, wait a minute, you teach college, but you haven't. Nope, I haven't finished my PhD for sure. Um, and I'm still working on my master's. But You know, again, my life experience and my professional experience qualifies me to teach at a top 100 university (laughs) in the country. Um, I am an adjunct professor at Drexel University. I teach a required course in two degree programs. It's required in the Interactive Digital Media degree program and in the Arts and Entertainment Management program, and it's a Strategic Management uh, and Entertainment and Arts Management course. And so that's my educational journey, Lisa May, it still <laughs> goes on. And yes, I'm crazy for saying I am trying to go all the way through to a terminal and to get that PhD.
0: Well, you know what? I mean, to each their own. And I I applaud you. I mean, you can teach and be taught at the same time. Like there, that's right. There is a such thing. And you are doing that, Tanisha. That's right. You are You are doing that.
1: That's right. So
0: You've accomplished so much in the arts and economic development sectors. What was your first break? Wow, that's a good question, too. So I didn't know economic
1: development was a thing. So my first break was actually writing a very critical op-ed about a city, and that city was Trenton, New Jersey. So uh, I, we lived in Princeton, New Jersey. Everybody knows Princeton, New Jersey because of the Ivy League institution, Princeton University. And um, Trenton, New Jersey is the state capital. And I didn't know anything about Trenton except that's the state capital. So it's where you kind of have to go if you have to do something with your driver's license or you know, one of those <laughs> sort of things. But that's all I knew. And when I went there, I saw this beautiful city despite the things that were blighted, right? So I saw this city that was colonial and architecture and all of these incredible things. And I sat down and wrote what I called a critical but hopeful op-ed about the things that I thought the city of Trenton should do. Now, what I didn't mention is I had started a consulting company that was working with athletes and entertainers on uh, real estate, projects in their hometowns and I had a business partner and again I have to shout out uh, Keith Brown was my business partner we had met on the train he uh, and I were taught commuter train into Manhattan we were talking about entertainment industry he went to Howard with Puffy and all those folks and I like oh I know him you know he was a client at my old job and as we got closer into the tunnel that connects New Jersey to New York City he says uh, he had also mentioned that he had written, you know, a song that was on the Billboard chart as we were on the train at that moment. But then as we're getting the tunnel he says, Yeah, well, you know, what I've really been doing Um, is my degree at Howard was in architecture and my master's degree is in construction management and I've been helping build schools around the state of New Jersey and I'm like that's so crazy because the last few years I've worked at an interior design company we should start a business so we started a company called NLB Development and one of our clients was Troy Vincent who was an NFL player on the Philadelphia Eagles at the time. And again, shout out Troy, because Troy is now a senior vice president at the um, executive vice president, oh my God, wrong title, executive vice president, like right under the commissioner um, for the NFL. So I had some experience with dealing with his hometown of Trenton, New Jersey, because we were seeking to do a real estate development there for Troy as his consultant. Well, the mayor read the op-ed that I had written and I'll never forget it. Um, in this very room, and the uh, the phone rings, and I see on the phone because I had moved my offices from Manhattan to my home. My home, it said City of Trenton. And I said, Oh, I wonder why the city of, City of Trenton calling me answered the phone it was mayor Douglas H. Palmer and he says yeah 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 I read your article my wife thinks I should hire you how would you feel about being the head of economic development for the city of Trenton and I said well how much does it pay and it was about half of what I was making at the time and so I turned to my husband and I said what would you think if I made like half what I make now we moved to the city of Trenton He's like, oh, sure. Clearly, I was not the primary breadwinner. So he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And so that's how I got (laughs) into it. I got into economic development by basically dissing a city (laughs) um, in a way saying you could do this better. And I guess his the mayor was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you think you're such a big shot. Let's see you get in this job and see how you
0: you do the job. But what I love is that he was like my wife. That's right, his wife. We need to hire you, and I'm therefore I. We are dialing your number. We are dialing your number. That's right. Listen, Chris Folio
1: Palmer is big time. She is, and he's smart to listen to his wife.
0: (laughs) Oh, he is. If they snagged you, I have no (laughs) doubt about that. That is such a fun story.
1: fun story and my first major development although it never came to fruition was the cup co- within five months the cover of all of the papers because it was with magic johnson and so of course everybody loved magic johnson so that was my first big proposed project i did have other projects that were completed and were successful including the trenton transit center which is our train station and other things but you know most people like to hear about the celebrity stuff so but that's how i got into economic development and found out it's a job it's a job (laughs) to actually help cultivate you know bring businesses to a community no idea that that was like a job you know um but it's an it's an important
0: one i i just am so in love with that story that is such a great story tanisha so i mean you know how many of us like write an op-ed piece and a mayor is calling us like that just never happened. It never
1: literally <laughs> people don't believe me. When I say I was literally on the phone with my husband going, I wonder what the mayor thought about that piece because it hit, like everybody was calling me about it. Like, Oh my God, you were so critical. But, but like, you know, advice, I given advice on like, these are the things you should do. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, on my personal phone, my office line in the house rang and it was the mayor.
0: I and love it was the day
1: after the general election um, as well. So yeah, it was it was a great, great time.
0: Magic in the making. So that's like a, that's a golden uh, opportunity. What are some of the early challenges you experienced as a woman of color in the arts? Whew. So
1: as you know, from my speech, um, there, there's a woman of color in the arts, and then there's a woman of color in the arts in a leadership role as well, mm. and and it's the same, it's same challenges. I mean, being able to get a foothold uh, in the arts, um, in any kind of leadership role, even middle management, is often tough. Um, to, you know, th- there's a reason that a lot of the people who end up in the arts come from privileged backgrounds, because typically your early opportunities are unpaid opportunity, unpaid opportunities, um, the benefit or the advantage, I should say, that I had is I did most of those in college, right? So I did most of those like sort of uh, working in arts and entertainment for nothing, you know, in college so that i didn't have to do that um, at any other time. But even that was a privilege. Um, I think that the main challenge, especially being a black woman, was that there weren't a lot of people that look like me and still aren't a lot of people that look like me in the top spot. So that means as an executive director or president and CEO uh, of, an, of an, a nonprofit or for-profit arts and entertainment. And the challenge there is um, having a, a voice, um, being able to, uh, to be yourself. Um, there's pressure for you to sort of represent a whole gender and a whole race. Um, and when you are just really being yourself, um, and so I think, um, I'm very privileged and I, 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 I know that all of that laid the groundwork for what I'm able to do now. Just a few weeks ago, we announced at my job that we were starting Newark Symphony Hall is starting the lab at Newark Symphony Hall, which is a career accelerator and business incubator for arts and entertainment. And a lot of time that language is solely used For the other things in STEAM, not for the A in STEAM, right? Absolutely. You you do Mm -hmm. hear about technology, uh, career accelerators, and business incubators, but you don't necessarily hear about that as arts. But it's the same principle. Um, A a business incubator and a career accelerator in these spaces are supposed to give you access to capital, it's supposed to give you access to thought leaders, um, and most importantly, mentorship. And so, those are all the things that I didn't get. Right. Mm, so this question was yeah. like, you know, the challenge is those are all of the things that I didn't get. And now I'm in the position to be able to pick up the phone the way I did uh, and contact. Um, I'll give you an actual example. Contact the Waco Theater Center, which stands for where are can occur. Now, some of your listeners might be familiar with Waco because they have a big gala that they would do called the Wearable Art Gala. And the uh person who presented that Wearable Art Gala, uh, gala it only needs one name and that's Beyonce. Um and it's <laughs> <laughs> and
0: it's her The name the, That's the right. The one name. That's one sure. name.
1: The one name and um the world art gala benefits waco and waco was co-founded by ms tina knows lawson and her husband richard lawson well i contacted waco on a thursday and said i have this idea about how we can really kick off our lab at Newark Symphony Hall as a career accelerator and business incubator. And I'd love to collaborate with you. And on a Tuesday, I got a, yes, let's really talk about doing this. And on a Friday, you know, that following one week later, was Zooming with the richard lawson who has more than 100 150 stage and screen credits the ask to him was i want you to mentor one of our very first participant in the lab and so now i'm in this seat and being able to bring those things together so people can skip steps right so you don't have to do the free you know thing um you can Pursue your craft and get the mentorship that, again, I never got. So I, I answered way more than you asked. But...
0: <laughs> oh, but, you know, but we will accept all the answers. I mean, who can I mean, who's going to stop you there? I mean, that's just you know, that's so incredible, Tanisha. To and, and, and I get it when you are in the flow and you're creating something that is so needed inside of our communities the communities that we serve and Mm -hmm. people get it you know collaboration is everything and to be able to collaborate with those that are that are at a better advantage than you are so that you can together amplify and create more opportunity and access Because you're right, like the biggest thing that that we, we deal with is access to opportunity, access to capital, access to support, access to mentorship, access to all the things, right? And when you create that pathway, that gateway for people like us to have access to that, all things can happen. Innovation happens yeah and i'm it's, gonna shout out it's an, in the another, room where it happens that's right
1: <laughs> i'm gonna shout out another person that is really doing this um because i think only people in a very narrow space are familiar with her work and that is Noel skaggs Noel skaggs is the front woman uh to the band fritz and the tantrums which my kids keep reminding me they had a big song called hand clap it's like has a hundred and something million views on on youtube Uh, But she's a black woman that fronts an otherwise not non-black uh, band. And one of the things that she noticed when she was touring is that there weren't a lot of people that looked like her, again, both race and gender. And so she created Diversify the Stage. And what she's doing, her first cohort were all women, all young women. Um, the idea is to create an opportunity in the live entertainment industry for folks who typically do not have those opportunities, and that's women, that's LGBTQ, Um, and I'm so excited, I found out about her, and once again, I wanna figure out how I can be a part of what you're doing, and now, I am the New Jersey ambassador for Diversify the Stage calling my other colleagues including colleagues in the very city in which I work and saying I want you to create some opportunities for these women that are young women college students that are coming through this Diversify the Stage initiative and when this industry is diversified it's because of people like Noel who are out there doing the work And not getting a whole lot of fanfare outside of her industry, to be clear. Billboard, Polestar, those industry publications have definitely rightfully shouted her out. But the person who is getting, the person who is the Tanisha of today, who is getting an opportunity and that will get an opportunity in the live entertainment space, they will have gotten it because of the work of of women like Noelle Skaggs. So I just want to shout that out.
0: I love that. And thank you for amplifying other women in the room, because that's that's how we should be showing up for each other, Tanisha. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So you you served as the executive director of the Arts Council of Princeton, which is how we found you, uh, notably as the first person of color in that role. Um, So when we first connected, you had just stepped into that role. And that was part of the backstory behind, you know, what you were going through um, when you took the stage in Washington, D.C. So can you share with us how you were nominated and what was that experience like for you to serve in that role? Because I know it wasn't um, you ended up leaving after a, a certain amount of time. So can you share a little bit about that experience with us?
1: I think it was a definitely, um, an amazing growth experience for me. Um, it was a role that I pursued. Um, as you, if you remember the, from the speech I wrote, I met 22 people and went through 17 hours of interviews. And I'm like, that's a lot of follow-up notes. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I, I do follow-up. not know how you endured that <laughs> interview, email, interview, email. Um, you
1: know, it was an amazing experience. Um, I was there for just a short period of time. Um, I uh, left after 20 months. Um, I actually went to them and, and, you know, tendered my resignation after 18 months, but what's, we didn't make that public until a little later. Um, it was challenging being a uh, the first person of color running an otherwise predominantly white institution. Um, there were a lot of things related to uh, organizational change that were uh, a challenge but it's funny it wasn't until last year that and I felt frankly some kind of way leaving so early because I I didn't want to it just was it was very challenging Um, sometimes things just aren't a fit Mm. and Frankly speaking, if you remember my speech, which I'm hoping we can get a copy of, we're all sort of looking for a copy of it, um, of the of the video. I obviously have a copy of the speech. Um, first five weeks, you know, I mean, I, you know. I was telling someone else and she's like oh yeah you should you should have left you know (laughs) that then but I was determined because I for whatever reason I thought it said more about me that I needed to to endure this um when it it probably really it just wasn't a fit you know Uh, but the amount of things that I accomplished in that short period of time I, I didn't own it even until last year last year uh after I had that would have been two years after I left, right? I was having a conversation about um, everybody wringing their hands around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I talked about things that I did literally in my, under my first year, which qualified as diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I was able to write about that last year. not just a, piece that I put on LinkedIn. And now that piece that I posted on LinkedIn has been adopted by a number of institutions, including Princeton University, as an example of how you can implement DEI in institutions. So again, though, it was kind of painful. And one of the things that I even said recently is... It probably should have conversation you know because I still live here you know still live here um, a conversation about how uh, particularly BIPOC leaders um, particularly BIPOC women leaders can be best supported and predominantly yeah. white yep. institutions and now is probably a good time for that conversation but in terms of the process it was the typical process they were doing a national search I put my name in and um, you know after that period of of interviews I was appointed and um, I don't regret any aspect of the time that I was there a lot of the things that I'm doing successfully now in this role I can only do and I was only able to attack head on because I had experienced it very early in my tenure at the arts council of princeton and i think it's an amazing place that deserves uh, all kinds of support um i i, I yeah i think that's all i want to say about that but yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you know every every uh, milestone is a stepping stone so you know you've definitely um been able to carry that into the work that you do so you're currently the president and CEO. CEO of Newark Symphony Hall. Um, I remember how excited you were, you know, about the opportunity to serve and make an impact in Lincoln Park. So what are some of the major projects that you've been able to launch? And what future plans do you have for the venue? I know you just mentioned the lab coming up. Um, So I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear about. What's 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 the tr- what's the path like forward? Yeah. So okay. So this is so uh,
1: Wonder Woman tech in terms of the stuff that we're doing. So the lab again. Some of this we haven't announced yet, so your folks are getting some scoops. But the process and how we're pursuing the presentation of creative work via the lab is really kind of high tech. Um, it involves, um, I-, I guess. It it, it involves, um, put it this way, people who actually see what we do with Waco Theater Center are not going to realize that some of the people are in California and some of the people are in New Jersey because it's going to look like they are interacting in the same space. So that's Mm. exciting um, to be able to have this incredible tech forward way of us being able to produce um, and present our creativity is really exciting. Um, you mentioned our uh, renovation. Um, the thing that's sort of crazy about that is it's it's more than forty now, so I need to update my my bio. It's fifty million dollar renovate <laughs> renovation. I know and I'm still raising money for it um and as I said you know so many things um that very short period of time that I was actually at the Arts Council of Princeton is the first time that I had ever worked with um high net individuals that have family offices and so that it. Family offices for people who don't know are the, the, the or offices that literally manage the money. Um, family offices are typically, you know, 100 million and, and above. So that's pretty exciting to be able to fundraise and to go in and talk to these family offices about how they are supporting a next generation of innovators and creators and how this environment um you know I, I think about all the tragic things that have happened in the past year and how that those tragedies have somehow um, allowed us to as a group to demand attention right so whether it's we see you you know, uh, white American theater, whether it is uh, demands for major corporations to invest in BIPOC talent. Um, But that's a lot of the work that I'm doing right now. What I'm mostly excited about is we have an incredible and young group of people at the Arts, uh, excuse me, not the Arts Council President, at the Newark Symphony (laughs) Hall. And they're mostly women. And so to be able to work I'll tell you something. New Jersey, by the end of 2028, is going to be majority minority. Latinx, Asian, African descent. Now at Newark Symphony Hall, we are all of those things. So to be able to lead a 100% BIPOC, primarily women, um, in this place is just amazing um and, and really like a privilege and an honor and to be able to I'm constantly telling them how proud I am of them. Unfortunately due to the pandemic we did have to reduce our numbers. So in a typical year we have twelve just twelve people who are managing this incredible institution that was built in nineteen twenty five that is two hundred and twenty thousand square feet. The main concert hall when it was built was built with 3,500 seats, but I keep saying we got bigger as a people, so the the, the seats had to get bigger too, so it's now a little (laughs) bit under 2,800 seats. It's now a little bit under 2,800 seats. But we have a concert hall that is legendary that has a capacity of 1,500, and we have what's called our black box theater that has capacity of 250. Again, this theater is legendary. Every major genre uh, legends have actually come through this facility. So, so when are we having a
0: Wonder Woman Tech Newark experience? I know, I know,
1: we really should. <laughs> typically, we're 12 full-time people and about 150 part-time people. Well, since the pandemic and and no live entertainment, yeah. none of those part-time people, we have, we have two part-time people and six full-time people. And the fact that we are still able to produce the type of virtual programming that we're able to produce is amazing um with essentially eight people six full-time and two part-time um but i think going forward you are going to be able to see the uh, things like wonder women uh tech event at newark symphony hall you know i'm so thrilled to be able to partner with our uh, tourism bureau and to talk in our convention and visitors bureau and say these are the sort of things that you're going after and we can accommodate them here we also have a uh, higher ed in the city we have new jersey institute uh, of technology we have uh, rutgers university you know we have all of these universities that we can partner with it is new jersey's largest city we are new jersey's oldest city. We're the third oldest metropolis in the nation founded in 1666. I view this as you know, when I pursued this, because I think I told you when I was pursuing it, I think you were one of the few people who actually, yeah. you know, so people are now going to know how close we are. Uh, <laughs> that I was going for this job. I don't even know if I had actually, I, I had given my notice. I'm trying to remember the order of operations. Um, but most people didn't want the job because the yeah. building had not been kept up for so many years but i saw the things that were happening in the city and i said i want to be part of the success story and this is also where i shout out our mayor mayor Raz baraka because he is an artist um most people if you know lauren hill's solo album he's the, the the man that's the teacher between the the songs he also was on the fuji's uh, album the score and opens that up I also have to shout out my board chair, Fayemi Shakur, who is a woman, um, a multidiscipline artist. And to be able to work with all of these people and do the things that we're doing, I think, again, is an honor and privilege. And most and most, most and most, and I know I'm talking a lot, but mostly I'm proud to be able to demonstrate this for my children. Um, I have two girls, and they pretty much think they can do anything, which is great and amazing because of all of the things that they get to see and experience so yeah all of that you're going to see all of this you're going to see performances you're going to see conferences you're going to see all of those things because that is the way that i want to keep the the lincoln park neighborhood alive Um, And final shout out, because if I don't say them, mention them, they're going to be like, you didn't mention. We're part of the Lincoln Park Alliance and the Lincoln Park Alliance is Newark Symphony Hall, Newark Arts, formerly known as Newark Arts Council and the Lincoln Park Coast Cultural District. And we are all about keeping the legacy of what was historically Newark's arts and entertainment district alive.
0: I am mesmerized (laughs) by your passion and your heart and your dedication and your commitment to revive and restore. And that is like, that's the theme that I'm getting from you. It's like seeing an an, an, un- an unpolished jewel and taking the time and care to nurture and uncover, you know, from the debris, you know, and, and reveal that shine, that heart of the stone. That's your gift, Tanisha. And I am so honored to know you.
1: I am so so honored to know you, and I'm I'm so honored to be in this role. And yes, you know I am very social media person. I am so transparent, especially on Facebook, um, and also transparent on Instagram. And I get I get messages from people like the woman who messaged me a few weeks ago, who is um, a stagehand and, you know, graduated from New Jersey Institute of Technology with a degree in, I think, construction engineering and to talk about because people don't think about the technology and the science and all the math. It's like math involved here. Yes, I run a performing arts center, but those lights and the sound and all that, that, that that's like math, right? <laughs> so, and so to say, and I was like, yeah, you know, we don't have X, Y, Z. And she's like, I'm gonna help you. She's like, I'm gonna help you. I love the space. I love what I see you're doing. I'm gonna help you. And so for me, it's an honor and privilege to be able to hear from people like that and say that they wanna like donate their time and assist us with the revitalization um, because it's really for, for all of the community.
0: I love that. Well, let's take a break for today's pioneering women segment. Today's pioneering woman is Katherine Johnson. Katherine Johnson was born in 1918 in West Virginia. Johnson was an American mathematician whose calculations of orbital mechanics as a NASA employee were critical to the success of the first and subsequent U.S. crewed space flights. During her 35-year career at NASA and its predecessor, she earned a reputation for mastering complex manual calculations and helped pioneer the use of computers to perform the tasks. The space agency noted her historical role as one of the first African-American women to work as a NASA scientist. She passed away on February 24, 2020 at 101 years old. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Katherine Johnson. Hello, innovators, and we are back with Tanisha Nash-Laird, who is just breathing life into me, you know around restoring the arts and 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 economic development and creating a legacy uh, and opportunities for the next generation to shine in the arts. Tanisha, you are also a co-author of a graphic novel, Still I Rise, a graphic history of African-Americans that covers the entire history of Black America that extends from the early days of colonial slavery slavery right through to barack obama's groundbreaking presidential campaign so can you tell us more about that and when did you have time to create a graphic novel
1: <laughs> so listen again blessed 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 to know so many amazing women um there was an article about my then-boyfriend, future husband, uh, and I having an independent comic book company. Uh, the New York Times had written an article about it. And we met a woman who, uh, by the name of Heidi Von Schreiner, I'm trying to pull everybody's name out, you know, Heidi Von Schreiner. And
0: she approached us. I feel said, like I we're, I like, thought, like, on the, on a the stage, you know, where the Oscars, where you've, gotta, I you've I gotta, got to get I gotta everybody... <laughs> you've got to get everybody out.
1: I love it. This is not, this is not, this is a note from something else, but that's what it feels like. Right. No, Heidi Schreiner, who came up with the idea. (laughs) Thank you. Because she really did. She came to us and she was like, I think you should do like a black history book. And so we did. Um, it's how we bought our house girl. We got $175,000 advance to write that book. Um, the the version that you mentioned is actually the second edition the first edition was still i rise a cartoon history of african americans and uh we had a great great um two really amazing people who were our um uh, historians on it um one is Nell Painter who was at Princeton University at that time uh the other one was Earl Lewis who was at the University of Michigan at that time but what's so crazy about Nell Painter is now she literally is a painter she retired from Princeton University and is a full-time artist as her like second career um but it was it was a lot of work and very recently i was asked to update it yet again so um, so i'm trying to figure that out but but it's an amazing experience and i still hear from people who meet me and they're like wait we have your book in our house on our shelf so that that's pretty awesome too and again with all of the events of the past year there are people who are trying to learn more about the african-american uh, heritage of our American history, because it really is American history from an African-American lens. Um, yeah, I don't know when we had time <laughs> to do any of these things <laughs> that we're doing.
0: <laughs> Woo. But I'm going uh, to have to lean for bringing- on you for, for our Africa summit, because, you know, we have that coming up in the summer. And I'm definitely calling on you to speak, just letting you know, that's going to be hitting your inbox. Well, listen. Um, <laughs> I want to go. I was asked to speak
1: in Ghana and I'm like, I want to actually go now. I can't wait for this pandemic to be over.
0: Oh, absolutely. No. You and I both sis, you and I both. So, you know, let's get deeper because you're someone who has been able to be really vulnerable with, with myself as well as our community. Um, and you know, I admire that about you and, and it's something that I've leaned into a lot, especially in the last two years where I just started being so super open and vulnerable and, and just telling it like it is because I think we do ourselves a disservice um, to put on airs and present as if we are okay all the time. And we're just not. And 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 I think one of the opportunities that this pandemic has created for us is that we, we kind of all hit a, a wall and have given ourselves permission, permission to be vulnerable and vulnerable in public, right? So, you know, you married your best friend and you have two amazing and vastly talented children who I get to witness their shenanigans on... Um, social media, and and I know how important and vital family is to you. Um, But you became a widow in 2013. So I want to understand how Roland's death impacted your family and what legacy has he left behind?
1: Oh, my gosh. So that's a a big question. Um, A lot of how he lived his life is influencing how I live my life now. Um, When he died, first of all, um, there were literally so many people at his funeral that several years later, I, you know, again, ran into someone professionally from a major corporation, a major telecom, um, who was actually a sponsor at my, my last job. Uh, and I said, oh, I'm not sure if you if you had heard that my my husband passed away. She's like, Tanisha, I was at the funeral. Like there were so many people that we had to rent out the war memorial in Trenton to have his repast, the ballroom. And there's so many people who were contacting me and telling me how much of an influence he had on their lives. So just like how you joked and say, how do you have time? I'm like, how did he have time to do all of these things, right? Um, so how it impacted my life is deciding that I really wanted to do the things that I wanted to do. You know, I had mm-hmm. not lived, uh, worked full-time squarely in the arts. I had a jobs that had arts initiatives. You know, I ran a, an organization that had an arts initiative before, but it wasn't until the Arts Council of Princeton that I actually had a full-time role in the arts. Uh, the other thing that it did is uh, the most immediate impact is that I did not initially work. Um, I consulted, but was not working a traditional nine to five. And I took my kids everywhere. <laughs> like my girls went everywhere with me. Um, if I I had a consultant... The Athletes Economic Alliance was one of my clients and they were doing a big event. Beyonce factors into this one, too. Her father was one of the speakers with that group. And I said, OK, girls, we're going to All Star in New Orleans. And, you know, I got a, a the ticket that I was provided was a, a coach ticket. I used all my points to upgrade to first class on my own dime and took my kids with me. Um, we were doing another thing. I had a business partnership with James Worthy, who is a NBA legend and was a minority owner in a business that James started in the Staples Center. And to be able to go up uh, and meet him and um, Jeffrey Osborne and, and Magic Johnson and all of their friends in Newport, Rhode Island, they literally asked us to come up. Um, they were doing a charity event took my kids to to that you know so basically being able to take my kids everywhere and to see us just adventures um, that was the most immediate impact but then subsequently like I said once I settled into what I want to do professionally made sure that I was focused on things that gave me joy and also gave had maximum impact how could I have an impact how can I This is gonna sound so morbid, but I thought about what will people say about me when I die. You know, think about all the things that I was thinking about the things that they said about him and how we didn't realize until he died that he was responsible for getting upwards of 30 kids in STEM programs at Brown University for the summer, middle school and high school kids, kids of color from Trenton, New Jersey, and eventually Newark, which is where I work now, not knowing that I would actually eventually work in Newark. But he was focused. He said, I want to... I didn't mention this earlier, but Roland's undergraduate degree from Brown was in math. He was a techie. His master's degree was in computer science. He wanted to expose more kids of color to that. So it was really more about that, living my life. But as you know, I grieved very very publicly too. So I was on the run, but I was constantly crying. Um, Yeah, that was that. that. Um, You didn't ask, but uh, as you know, that was my not my only tragic tragedy right um or tragic event i don't actually know how to describe except to say that two years ago on my daughter's 13th birthday i was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer as well so all of those things how they influenced me not only being transparent but allowing my children to see me vulnerable as well that being wonder woman doesn't mean that you have to constantly put up this uh, image of being invincible, that you can be vulnerable as well.
0: Yes, there is is strength and vulnerability. And you, you know, you are a strong warrior woman. You know, you've had to navigate many of life's challenges, including, as you mentioned, breast cancer. In uh, 2019, you were diagnosed with early stage breast cancer. Thank God. Can you share with us a bit about that journey and how did that change your life?
1: Well, it's still it's still a process. Um, we hope that I remain cancer free. I am due for another uh, screening, um, and unfortunately, they're watching a different part of my body right now for the for the same thing. Another lady part. Um, I think what it changed is to make sure that I understood what the priorities were and that, you know, you got to take time for self-care. You know, the reason that we were able to catch it early was because my doctor insisted (laughs) that I go for this mammogram. Um, And so, and my doctor is the same one that has me come every three months now to watch, you know, a fallopian tube that he's not very... Excited about. Um, I think, you know, there are days when I think about these things and I share with my friends saying, you got to check into these things because you, you know, it's hard. It's emotional because, again, I, I only recently had an appointment and I had hoped that I was, you know, you, you go in because they say you should go in. But you're not really expecting them to give you bad news. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's so, true. so, so, so getting this not so great news um, recently was is is concerning um, because you know what we're trying to avoid is me having to go under the knife again. Um, it's scary. It's scary. It really is. Um, you know, I know that you you understand having gone through um, health challenges as well. Um, but it, cha- it what it changed me is to make sure that again, I'm living my life in a way that if I didn't open my eyes again tomorrow, would I be happy with the things that I did?
0: You know, um, and it's so true, Tanisha, and thank you so much for sharing that with us. I mean, this is, you know, cancer is something that Unfortunately, so many of us will be touched by in some form or fashion, some form or fashion um and we recently lost one of our very own to cancer and I can't stress enough how important it is to to be responsible ladies um and and those that do have uh feminine parts or in just or even in general. You know, how important it is to just be on top of your health. Um, You know, uh, our our family member, you know, our Wonder Women Tech family member started uh, in the uterus and it just and it, you know, you kind of think it's going to go away. And then it's before, you know, it, it's in your lungs and it and then it was in her brain and she was gone in a year. So it's very important to um, to be responsible there, and I love that you have a doctor, Tanisha, that is um, an advocate for your health. Because so many, especially those of us who are Black and Brown, um, do not get that care. We don't get that consideration. The statistics are alarming around being misdiagnosed or being shrugged off as um, you know you're just overreacting, or you know just you just want medicine. You know, you just want uh, opioids, so they're, they're they're and it's it's a very real um, situation. Yeah. Um, so just be, you know, uh, 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 an advocate for your health. And and to your point about you know just wanting to live life, you know, that's something that I identify with right now, Tanisha. Um, you know, having uh, with Stephanie's death because we're so that we're the we're virtually the same age. And I'm like, I need to live life. I need to extract from it what I can. You know, this pandemic created depression for me. And then on top of that, grief. And only recently am I like pulling together, you know, the resources. I want to have a first class trip, you know, like I want to do things that I haven't given myself permission to do. And I really want to also just you do have this lens of like, what is my legacy? What can I leave behind? What are people going to say about me? Um, or or what is the impact, rather, that I leave? You know, so I really am grateful to you for sharing that with us.
1: Well, um, I want to reassure you, though you didn't ask, the impact that you will leave. Um, and although you're not leaving us anytime soon. But um, <laughs> if you decide to just give this up, we're not gonna talk about you leaving the earth. If you just decided to give this up today, the impact that you have left with Wonder Woman Tech is just incredible. Like you have absolutely changed lives with that. Um, Both the people, the women who were on stage and the women who have been in the audience. And I know because I've been both, right? Um, I've been on that stage and I also heard from women who And I've been in the audience, but I've also heard from women who talked about how this has, I'm not trying to make you cry. I know, <laughs> um, I just am
0: a crier. That's what I do. That's what um, I do.
1: And so I thank you for all the labor that you put into this. And I, I want people who are in a position to support you um, to, to do so. Right. So if they're sort of in this position, maybe they have a corporate role that is around corporate giving and they have an opportunity to support. They really should, because this is the kind of thing that you can do supporting Wonder Women Tech. And you didn't ask me to say any of this. Um, So I know you're looking at me like, uh, (laughs) but it but it gives people an opportunity to to amplify their own giving because of the exponential effect of the work that you do so i just want people who are watching this to know that it's, it's not about individuals, it's about what you're having and the effect that you're having on a whole sector. Listen, I only ended up being um, at your global uh, initiative um, um, uh, summit because you decided to add an A, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> so, so I was like, oh yeah, sure, you know. So I mean, so think about that. Um, and yeah. to be able to say that I was at this incredible summit in Washington, D.C that absolutely changed my life for sure. Um I Aww. I thank you.
0: Thank you. I'm so grateful to you. You know, as as we explore the importance of vulnerability as a superpower, I'd love you to share something with us that you've never shared with anyone else before and I know you have actually dropped some 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 scoops. Um but is there anything that I mean even around what you're feeling with this with this new um, you know, health situation? Is there anything that you'd like to share? Um, I think, um,
1: I, you know, I'm not sure if this is something that I haven't shared before because I think this is something that I've now been saying. You know, especially during the pandemic, I think people are becoming a little bit more open about um, mental health. Yeah. And how important it is to take care of your mental health. Like, I I can't believe I never did therapy like this before. I think the only other time, so I'm in therapy, right? The only other time that we did therapy is uh, after uh, Roland and I got married, our first home was literally incinerated by an interstate gas pipeline explosion. Yeah, it was like crazy. And so the insurance company sent us to therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder But that was probably, even though it was the worst thing that could happen to us because we had only been married a few months, in a way, it was kind of the best thing that happened to us because we were able to kind of, in that therapy, talk about just kind of other stuff. Mm, The only reason that I started therapy during the pandemic is that my insurer sent out an email that said, we're going to be uh, offering you to have the opportunity to have a therapy for zero copay. Like, oh, free! Okay, let me try this thing out. Oh my God! <laughs> like, where was this all my life? You know. And so, I think that is something that I really um, am grateful for. That that in this time period, I have been able to have that, and how it's been one of those things where there are issues, whether it was imposter syndrome, which is something that I think definitely women, uh, not all women, as someone recently made clear, I don't have that issue, she said. I'm like, okay, that's great. Um, But there's some women, some of us, who the higher we rise, the more that kind of comes on, because I definitely know I didn't have it when I was young. I thought I could do anything, be anything, whatever, you know, especially Mm -hmm. young professional. But the higher I rose, the more the doubts, especially when you yeah. a- approach challenges. So, I think the thing is uh, taking care of your mental well being is something that I am really, really focused on right now. And I've had a number of breakthroughs around me doing that. Um, yeah, mental um, health.
0: I'm so grateful for that reminder. And as much as I've been talking about, my depression and grief over the last year, um, I had a new therapist because my therapist I had, and it's so important to have somebody that you trust and, and love and can build that trust, you know, that rapport and safe space. Um, she ended up leaving. So I had to find a new one and my new one, I don't care for her too much. So I've been um, going it alone for the last few months, probably the most crucial month. So I need to get back on the wagon. In fact, I will, I will search through um my insurance providers and see like who's available because you're right and that's such a I'm grateful for this conversation because it is a reminder that sometimes we can't go it alone. I've been trying to quote unquote snap out of it. Um but yeah, I need some support. <laughs> She's like, you no do this. you cannot shake do this your alone. shake shaking yeah. your head. Um you've led an incredible life that has had its share of joy. Definitely challenges, definitely triumphs and twists and turns. Um, If you had to do it all over again, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why?
1: You know, this is one of those questions that it depends on the day.
0: Um,
1: (laughs) I actually, you know what? The road less traveled has been fulfilling right um you know it's it, it, it's it's interesting because I, f- I sort of feel your question is like oh you know would you have um you know plain pastry or something with like sprinkles and a little you know jazz up um I, I think I would have taken the road and would have again taken the road less us travel now having done it I probably would have known how to navigate some of these things a little better, right? So it doesn't mm, take yeah. any, uh, you know, pounds of flesh out of me. But um, yeah, I, I, there's so, so many things. Do you know that now when I have issues with people, I recently circled back to someone that I had a, an issue with professionally and thanked them. And so now that's my immediate reaction you know, someone sent something pretty nasty to me today, actually. Oh, you should have fact-checked. Well, I did, but the person I fact-checked with didn't know something and was really insulting, the, the email. And instead of me getting, you know, like defensive, I was like, thank you. Thank you. You know, when I know better, I do better. So, so thank you. So I think the road less traveled,
0: but I know better right so i'll probably do better too i that is an excellent perspective tanisha and it is so very true when you know better you do do better Mm -hmm. and to have that lens i mean they always say hindsight is is uh, is yeah so it's like you know at the well i don't want to use the word 2020 (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to ban 2020. Looks like, Mar- yeah, from Mar- like Mar- 2020 is not like hindsight from is Marble 2022. Vocabulary. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> hindsight right. is 2022. We are that's revising right. that. We are revising that. But anyway, Tanisha, it has been an absolute pleasure and joy to sit in this space with you, to be in the room together. Um, You know, you're someone that I admire and I genuinely look up to. and. I love the way that you amplify and support and edify. I mean, even in this conversation, you took the time to acknowledge those that have made an impact in your life along your journey. And how many of us, I just want to actually pose this to the audience, you know, how many of us do you take that time, that moment to just travel through our history, go back to our childhood, go back to, you know, our education, um, those that that mentored us, those that inspired us throughout our careers, or even now as we sit in the space that we're in, how many of us take that time to say, you know what, Tanisha, You you showed up for me, or you know what, so-and-so, you were on that train with me and that changed my life and, and we got to journey together in this way and that led to this and we planted the seeds to bloom great things. I mean, I want everybody to just take a moment to think about the people that have impacted them because even though we're all sitting here, I'm sitting here. I'm actually, this this conversation has given me life, girl. Um, Like I, you know, because when when we're at our, worst or when we're feeling despair and 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 it is not linear we are like we could be on top of the world one day and just not the next um but take a moment to just think about the people that show up for us and who 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 will um support us along the way i'm grateful to have you tanisha in my corner i am in yours always and forever and I cannot wait to see the impact you will continue to make to preserve history, to um, pave the pathway for future generations, to survive, thrive, and innovate in the arts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making this space. Thank you so much for being here, Innovators. We'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time.